to those who are joining us online. Why don't you grab a Bible or a phone and head to Mark chapter 9. Uh, we are going to be uh, in Mark chapter 9 from verses uh, 13. If you don't have a Bible, I think the verses will be uh, on the screen behind me, but that won't help those of you at home. You're going to have to look at a Bible. This is a, this is a wonderful passage, uh, the transfiguration of, of Jesus. I think I, I say that every time I preach, like this is a wonderful passage. This is the best passage in Mark kind of thing. It gets a bit boring, but uh, this is a wonderful passage, so it's okay. I can say that without um, repetition. So let me read it, uh, and then I'll pray for us. Mark chapter 9 from verse 2. After six days... Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves to be alone. He was transfigured in front of them, and his clothes became dazzling, extremely white, as no launderer on earth could whiten them. Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say since they were terrified. A cloud appeared, overshadowing them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them, to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept his word to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. Then they asked him, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Elijah does come first and restores all things, he replied. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did whatever they pleased to him, just as it is written about him. Let's pray again as we look at these verses together. Father, week in and week out, we're, we are so grateful for the gift of your word, and we pray now that as we, as we look at it, as we listen to it, as we seek to um, see in these verses, in this passage, what you would say to us, we pray and that you would, as wisely said, you would soften our hearts, you would open up our ears, you would send the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, to open up our eyes so that we can see what we need to see. You, you know us through and through, and you know what we need to hear from your voice this morning. You know the condition of our souls. You know what will strengthen us, will challenge us and encourage us. And thank you, Father, for the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit who can take one passage and apply it to all of our hearts and lives this morning. So we look to you for that. We pray that as we gather under your word and, and submit our hearts and our lives to it again this morning, that you would strengthen us, you would speak to us, you would establish us more deeply in faith, more in love with you, and you'd shape us through your word this morning. And so we ask this for our good and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So just some context quickly as we get to this. We've had a couple of weeks. I haven't preached for a couple of weeks, so 
maybe this is also more for me, orientating myself to where you've been in Mark while I've been doing weddings and wherever else. Uh, the disciples have made this confession about Jesus. You are the Christ. When you ask them, like, who do you say I am? And they, 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 they piece in together slowly, like, who Jesus uh, really is. And um, the, the crowds are battling and to still get a handle on, on, who, on who Jesus is. And um, it's, it says here in Mark, six days after that kind of confession, and Jesus, last week, you, you were, uh, Lenka was preaching uh, that, that very strong passage where Jesus says, look, if you want to come, if you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and come. If you want to keep your life, you're going to lose it. But if you want to, if you're willing to lose your life, you get to keep it. And I mean, that, that's some of the toughest stuff I think Jesus ever says to anyone. And following on from that, Jesus decides to take uh, his three closest, I'm not going to say favorite, I'm just going to say closest disciples uh, up a mountain uh, to do something that is astounding. We're going to look at it in more depth here, but uh, this is the context just so you know where we are in Mark, we're just over sort of halfway through Mark's gospel, but we are like right near the end of the life of Jesus. We're m- months away chronologically from him being crucified. So whilst the first part of Mark's taken ages for us to get to, the last part of Mark doesn't actually cover a long chronological period of time. It's action-packed. The last few chapters of Mark, there's a ton of stuff in here. That's why Jesus takes these fellows up on this high mountain to give them this amazing experience. So there's three things uh, that we can see in this passage. If you're a note-taker, yeah, they are. The first one is a life-changing revelation. A life-changing revelation. Why does Jesus take Peter, James, and John up this high mountain? This is why. Because they've just confessed not long ago that he is the Christ. Yeah, they're like, yeah, they're starting to get a picture like you are the Messiah, but they still have in their minds, this is a, a Messiah who's going to come and liberate our land, bring about his kingdom. You know, we're close to this guy. This is a great place to be. We're like his two ICs kind of thing. Man, when he comes into power, we're going to be right there. We're going to be like prime ministers almost. Like We're going to have positions in cabinet as it were, you know, we're going to be ministers without portfolio. You know what? Like, they're going to have sway in this new kingdom because they, they're besties with Jesus. They're following him around when he comes. So they, they're, not, they're still not thinking, and you see this again and again as we go through the rest of the chapter of Mark, but keep missing. Every time Jesus mentions, I'm going to die, they'll sort of go sailing over their heads. We just had it where Peter, Peter rebukes Jesus. And he says, no, 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 no. When Jesus first predicts his death, he says, that's not going to happen. And Jesus does what he tells him to get behind him, Satan. <laughs> he just like puts him in his place right there. Every time Jesus mentions his death and the root of the cross in his plans, the disciples can't understand that because they had no picture of a Messiah who would die. You need a Messiah who comes to liberate and establish this kingdom. And they're still battling with that. This is why Jesus takes them. He wants them, these three, to see who he actually is. They've made some kind of confession, you're the Messiah. But he wants to give them a bit of a view of who he really is. Because these three 
are going to play such a crucial role in the life of the early church. Peter, James, and John. Peter is the leader of the early church. He's the guy who gets up on Pentecost, full of the Holy Spirit, preaches probably the best sermon ever, and thousands of people come to faith in Christ. God does amazing things through this guy who abandons Jesus in his hour of need. He turns his life on its head and uses him as a catalyst to establish the early church. James becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And John, we get how much of the New Testament we get from John, he becomes like an elder, a father figure to the a whole generation of Christians. And, you know, while he's exiled on Patmos, we get revelation. He, he stays the course um, faithfully through tons and tons of persecution. These guys needed, this is the important part, they needed to be convinced about who Jesus was. Because of everything he was going to put them through, they needed to be 100% sure that this guy is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. They're getting a clearer picture, but they're still missing it, as we'll see again this morning. And so Jesus takes them up on this mountain and is transfigured. Something is unveiled of his true nature before them. Listen to how, uh, we won't dive too much into this, but listen to how John, in John chapter 1, verse 14, describes this. This is the John on the mountain. He says in John 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We saw his glory. That's him reflecting on what we're looking at today, the transfiguration. Listen to how Peter describes it. This is, this is even better, I think. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly. This is Peter, by the way. He's now in a, in a, in, in a conversation in 2 Peter where he's defending his apostolic authority. Um, and, and this is why, and this is what he appeals to, to, um, to leans on. For we did Follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory came, and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. It's important. He says, right in verse 16, he says, we didn't follow cleverly contrived myths. He's saying, listen here, we haven't been hoodwinked. We're not, we're not peddling nonsense here, guys. We have seen with our own eyes glory in this. And we have heard with our own ears the voice of the majestic glory saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. We were there. We have credentials and it's so fundamentally shaped his life. This experience that we're looking at today fundamentally altered the course of their lives because they got to see clearly, more clearly, who Jesus was. And it changed everything. What happens up on the mountain? Well, I mean, this is recorded in a couple of the Gospels in Luke and Matthew and in Mark. Oh, sorry, in John. And what what. What happened? Is Jesus changed? You have to ask that question. Is Jesus changed? I think it's in Luke's gospel, in Luke 9. You read that the disciples were sleeping while this happened. Jesus takes them along with him, and he's praying, and they're sleeping. I mean, this is the pattern of the disciples. Maybe you think you would make an excellent disciple 
Uh, I think I, I, I would fit in pretty well there. Like Jesus is like, come and, come and be with me. And they're like, like again and again. And it's not the last time it happens. Gethsemane. And it's these three clowns as well. Always fast asleep. Boom. If Jesus needs them, they're dosing. He's praying, you know. And they, they, they are, they're sleeping. Jesus is changed. He is transfigured. He starts to shine like Mark is scratching around for words. Mark's gospel is influenced by Peter, okay? This is historical stuff. Mark, Mark, um, Mark writes it, but there's a lot of discipling from Peter. Um, so this is Peter's eyewitness account that shapes Mark's view. The words he's scratching around for, he's saying he's, his clothes become whiter than anyone on earth could make his clothes. And his face is shining, it says in Luke, like, like the midday sun in all of its brilliance. So imagine you go from sleeping and you wake up and that's happening. I mean, this is how I wake Jono up in the morning, our seven-year-old. I mean, what are those things that they use like, to, when people, I mean, if they could make little kid-friendly versions of that, that would be helpful for the oak in the morning. The oak is like comatose to get, wake him up. The others, I walk in the room and they pat-pat, ah, wake up, I love you. Here, I turn on the light, walk in, turn on the light, jump on the bed. That's how, and he's still like, like he's like disorientated. Like, that's what I think of. Like, you wake up and there's this bright lights there, clouds. That's why it says Peter, well, look at it now. Peter starts to say stupid things because he's completely bewildered. He's totally disorientated. He doesn't know what to say and he says stupid things. Which is like, we'd also feel probably at home as, as a disciple there. What is happening to Jesus, though? Is Jesus changing? Jesus is just unveiling a little bit of what he keeps suppressed as he comes in the flesh. It's not that God is upgrading him now on that mountain. He's like leveling up like, okay, Jesus came. Now he's like, now he's making him divine. He's having this, this change, this metamorphosis. And all that's happening is that Jesus is pulling the veil back just a little bit on his glory. Just a little bit, and it's too much for them. It's just a little, and it's too much for them. Guys, this is, this you see again and again in Scripture that God often presents himself as light. Um, we don't have time this morning to go through all the examples. But it's one thing for those of us who, who, who follow Jesus and are looking forward to eternity with him, to just meditate on and, and, and hold in your hearts that one day we, with unveiled faces, will behold the glory of the Son of God. And the only appropriate response, I can guarantee you what's going to happen. You're not going to be standing. You're not going to be standing. Again and again in the scriptures you see, when Jesus shows himself for who he truly is, you fall down. It's the only appropriate thing because you think something will consume you. That's who we get to follow and worship. And that's the disciples. That's why they're so terrified because Jesus just peeks open like a little bit of his glory. I don't know if you've got block out curtains. Now, I'm talking like a real adult here. I know, like, block-out curtains are the most wonderful thing. You know, if you've got proper block-out curtains, it can be like 10 in the morning kind of thing, and you're dorsing there, you think, oh, you're just going to open the curtain a little bit, like, boom, the whole room is filled with light. You suddenly realize, oh, I should have been up a while ago. That never happens to us anymore, but I remember a stage of life when that happened. Uh, like, just a little bit of a crack open, and the whole room is filled with light. That's what you see. Jesus is just showing them a little bit of his glory, and it's too much them but it's glory that's already there it's glory that is veiled while he's in his earthly 
body. And one day it won't be veiled. And the disciples get to see a little bit of that. And it changes them forever. They have this life-changing revelation of who Jesus is. Why is this important? Why am I making such a big deal about this? Because it was, it was a really big deal for them. And it's a really big deal for you. Unless you have a life-changing revelation and understanding of who Jesus is. And you see him more clearly and become convinced of who he is. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. And while we're, I think this happens uh, for many people uh, once, you know, we become believers often because God allows us to have this, uh, this revelation, this understanding of who Jesus is. But why is it increasingly ongoingly important? Because I think I'm not one of those like the sky is falling kind of people, uh, doom and gloom kind of guy. But I do think that it's getting harder and harder, and it will become harder and harder to faithfully follow Jesus in the culture and the world that we find ourselves. And unless you are fully convinced of who Jesus is, you get a glimpse of his glory and you are willing to follow regardless of what it costs you. You will fall away when the heat and the pressure comes because it's going to become increasingly difficult and increasingly uncool. You're going to be increasingly swimming sorry, upstream as you follow Jesus. And you need to be 100% convinced this is the Son of God. And I'm willing to follow him even unto death. That's what happened to these disciples. Even unto death they were willing to follow because they had become convinced that Jesus is who he said he was. It's massively important, guys. And we don't have a mountain to go up and, you know, the glory of Jesus, but we have, we have this. And we have the gift of the Holy Spirit sent to open up our eyes to see and experience the reality of the resurrected Jesus and the Holy Spirit sent to live in us. And the testimony of Scripture and 2,000 years of what God has been doing in the kingdom established on earth. We have more than the disciples had. We have more. Everyone says, I want to go on a mountaintop experience to see somebody Jesus. I mean, that would be pretty convincing, I'm sure. But we almost have more, guys. And if you want to get convinced, go here. And take this book and go sit at the feet of our Father. And pray that the Holy Spirit would impress upon your heart the reality of who Jesus is. It all turns on that. That's the first thing we see is a life-changing revelation. The second thing we see is a ridiculous response. A ridiculous response. Peter doesn't know what to say. He's bewildered. He's been sleeping. Now he's just awake. There's a cloud. There's shining lights. He's just like, you know what we should do, Jesus? <laughs> this is so lacquer. I love the way Mark writes it. Peter says, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. It's good for us to be here. You know, I've got a great idea. We're going to make you a shelter. <laughs> I mean, he's shining like the noonday sun in all of his glory and brilliance. Peter doesn't, he just says he doesn't know what to say. You know when you don't know what to say? I don't know if you, any of you are socially awkward as I am, but I sometimes say things that I shouldn't say. Sometimes it's when I'm preaching, and other times it's just when I'm other, with, other times with people. You know? yeah, I hate silence, you know? Like you want to fill the silence and say, so you say something, and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Like, you don't necessarily say that, but you're just thinking, we could have stuck with some silence there. Uh, you say awkward things, like, 
This is Peter being awkward. He's saying, let's, let's make some shelters, one for you, one for you, and one for you, and we can just stay here. How cool. This is so lacquer uh, up here. And there's two reasons why this is a bad idea. There's multiple reasons, but there's two I want us to look at that connect with us. The first, and with, I don't want to push this too far, but we all have a leaning towards wanting to stay up on the mountain with Jesus, where it's wonderful, and we see his glory. And there's no demon-possessed people. There's no cripples. There's no issues. There's no Pharisees. There's none of the people. It's just us and Jesus. There's lacquer up there. And we all have those high moments. We all have those times when we're with God, whether it's, you know, you're, maybe it's maybe in your normal rhythm, or you're going to camp, or whatever else. You just want to stay in that thing. You want to be there. We don't want to be down with the multitudes on the mission, building the kingdom. We want to just be there with our Savior. And while I'll say this, I think you need mountaintop experiences that prepare you for time with the multitudes. The one comes the I think if you want to be of any use in the kingdom, you need to be alone with the master on the mountain, as it were, and see him and be with him and enjoy him and feel his presence and be empowered by him so that when we are amongst the multitudes, we are passionate, effective, powerful. We know we're on mission, and then we retreat back up the mountain, as it were. You need both. You need time alone with God, uh, enjoying him and just reflecting and being empowered like Jesus, just time with his Father. But you don't just sit up on the mountain. You're down with the people. We're serving. We're on a kingdom mission. We're on the mission that Jesus started and has brought us into. That's the first reason why I think Peter's suggestion is bad. The second is something connected to what I alluded to earlier, the, the desire for glory without the cross. Peter's saying, stay up here. This is, this is so lacquer. Let me build you shelters. We can go straight from here to glory. This is basically glory. I don't know if Peter was thinking, like, if we build shelters, then maybe we'll all just, like Elijah, just, just be gone. Like, there's interesting questions. There's so many interesting questions about these passages. The first question I had as I sat down to study this, like, how did they know it was Moses and Elijah? Did they do introductions? I mean, they didn't know what Moses and Elijah looked like. They didn't know what they looked like. Moses and Elijah are not supposed to be in body form. They're supposed to be disembodied spirits in heaven. So many questions. I mean, you can answer them in your own time because I don't have all the answers for them. Uh, but he wants to go to glory. He doesn't want to have any more of this nonsense about the cross. It doesn't show us this in Mark, but I think it picks it up in Luke's account where it says that the conversation that Moses and Elijah and Jesus are having is that the conversation is about his departure. It's about his death. That's what they're talking about. And the disciples are listening in. I wonder what they're talking about. And we know because it's recorded in the scriptures that they're talking about his death, his departure, the fact that he has to go to the cross. This is what Peter wants. Peter wants glory without the path of the cross. He doesn't want, to, he doesn't want Jesus to have to get crucified. He just wants glory and the kingdom to come. And we're all a little bit like that, and the Scripture corrects us. So if you want to encounter glory, it's through the cross. And the message of the gospel is that we don't go to the cross, but one has gone to the cross for us. And it's because of him going to the cross that we experience. But 
eyes are firmly fixed on the cross. Firmly fixed because that's what Jesus has gone for us. We don't circumvent the cross. We look at it and we thank God that Jesus has gone there for us and secured for us glory now in relationship with him. Glory and transformation, being transformed by God and glory in what's going to come one day with him. That's the second thing. The ridiculous response, subverting, I mean, averting the cross for glory. The third thing we see here is a divine affirmation. Divine affirmation. The most important voice. This is the high point, I think, of this encounter. It's when, um, in Deuteronomy, um, God sets the pattern. He says, if you want something to be established, a testimony to be established, it needs two or three witnesses. That's why there's numbers here. So it's Moses and Elijah. Who's the other witness? God. You've got Moses, through whom comes the law. You've got Elijah, who's basically the uber prophet. Elijah is like a summary in the Old Testament of, of, of all the prophets. He's like the best prophet, if you want. You've got the law and the prophets coming together on the mountain and the voice of the Father testifying about the Son, where two or three are sharing and witnessing and giving testimony to the person of Jesus. And what does the Father say? His voice booms from this cloud and says, this is my beloved Son. What does he say? Listen to him. Listen to him. I mean, that's it. We can close in prayer now. Listen to him. My beloved son, listen to him. Listen to this from Hebrews chapter 1, from verse 1 to 3. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He is the radiance of God's glory. That's what they've seen on that mountain, some of the radiance of the glory of God in the person of Jesus. But he's spoken through the Son. That's why the voice of the Father affirms in Jesus' This is my beloved son. Listen to him. When he speaks, listen to him. Do whatever he tells you to do. That was important then. And, and friends, it's important for us now. It's important for us now. We don't get to pick and choose and listen to some. The father doesn't say over the son, listen to most of what he says. It just says, listen to him. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. He not even just say, worship him. He doesn't say, follow his example. Listen to him. As Jesus speaks, as he teaches. Part of why the Father is saying this um, to these disciples is because everything Jesus is speaking about is, is what? The cross. So everything he's saying, guys, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to the cross. So when he says, I'm going to the cross, listen to him. Because the cross Jesus on the cross is, is the central defining moment of all of human history. There's no subverting. There's no going around it. God is wanting our attention to come to focus on the cross where God himself goes in our place for our sin. 
and secures for us forgiveness and life in the Son. It's the central piece. It's the central event of all of human history. Listen to him. The last verse I want to, passage I want us to look at this morning as we close is 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. Listen to what Paul tells the Corinthians. He says, we all, speaking about believers, we all with unveiled faces are, look, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are be transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. That is a wild passage. Read it again, because I think some of you are fading there. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking, as in a mirror, at the, we're looking at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed. What is happening to you at the moment? You are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And this is how is it happening. This is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working in your life if you're a believer in Jesus and transforming you from one degree of glory to another. You are being changed already. Do you feel that? Do you feel that? If you don't feel that yet, my suggestion to you is that you have not been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You're not a believer in Jesus. And that's your starting point. You need to humble yourself, receive his forgiveness, and be made alive in Christ. But those who are, this should be our experience. I'm, I'm not going to say it's just like this. It's upwards and up and down. It's backwards and forwards. It's slow and it's fast. Patient. But this is the truth of what's happening in you, is that by the Holy Spirit, you are being transformed by, uh, by the Holy Spirit from one degree of glory to another as we look at him. How are you changed? You look at him. Pete, uh, who was one of our elders for a while, used to have this wonderful phrase that he said again and again, you, in, in beholding there is a becoming. We behold and become. If you want to know how, do you, how are you changed, you just look at Jesus. Make that the priority of your life, is to sit and look at Jesus. And listen to him. Listen to him. Look at him and listen to him. And the Holy Spirit takes those things and transforms your life from one degree of glory to another. And you end up in a place where you, never, you don't recognize the person you've become, not because you got your act together, but because God transformed you through the Holy Spirit and changed you. You're not the same person you were back then. Not because you gritted it, but because you him. And you listened to him. And you obeyed him. That is amazing. As we close, I want to give you a couple minutes just to sit on your own. And answer this question. How is my beholding going? How's my looking going? How's my listening going? In what areas of your life are you not listening? In what areas are we not listening? We all have areas where we're not listening anymore. We're not listening as attentively. And God needs to gently, that's what he does by the Holy Spirit. This transforming work is an ongoing thing. Say, hey, hey, you need to listen again. Come, come, come. Come back to me. Some of us are looking at other things to transform us. 
are hoping in a whole bunch of other things to satisfy you and change you and carry you. And God has said when you stare at Jesus, that's when you are changed. When you behold him, that's when you become more like him. That's the whole point of everything. We need this. We need this more than Peter, James, and John needed, guys. And we need it this morning. So I invite you just to sit for a minute or two. If you're at home, online, sit on your couch, wherever you are, and invite the Lord through the work of the Holy Spirit to poke around in our lives and see are there areas where we're not listening anymore. Are there areas where we've stopped looking and gazing. The other things are way shinier, way more attractive. The eyes have come off Jesus and we're just beholding other things. Because you become like those things. You become like what you ever, whatever you stare at the most. The things that you long for, like the most, love, heart chases after, you're going to become like those things. And that change and that exchange, what the Holy Spirit does, turn our eyes back onto Jesus and we become more like him. Let's pray that God would help us with these things this morning. Father, simply this morning we want to we want to use these moments to respond um, to what you have provoked in us through your word this morning. We we so need uh, ongoing uh, revelation of who you are and what you're like, Jesus, and what you what you're doing in us and, and to us. Just who you are, your your glory, your majesty, your worth, your person the cross, and we come and sit this morning and we pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would, you would be speaking to us, you would be convicting us, you would be confronting us in areas where we, we've become hard of hearing, where we've stopped listening to Jesus, where we've stopped looking, we've looked to other things. And turn our hearts back to you. Turn our eyes back to you this morning. Open up our ears. Give us a longing for the voice of the one who loves us the most. Jesus, there is no one like you. And what, what a privilege is, is ours to, to know you and to be loved by you, to, to look at you, to listen to you, to be led by you and loved by you. I pray that in increasing ways, you, know, you, you would recapture our hearts and turn our eyes away from worthless things and our hearts from wandering after things that can't satisfy us and bring us again back to you. Thank you that this is the message of the gospel. This is the work of the Spirit, that, that you bring us to yourself. And that we don't have to wind up in ourselves a love for you, 
and the grace to follow and the, and the strength to believe, but we receive from you. And so this morning we rejoice in, 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 in the gift you give us of faith and the grace that you have for us. And we say, please pour that out on us in fresh ways this morning that we can leave here rejoicing in your goodness, loving you, longing to just stare and behold the Son of God. And we pray that you would change us. We pray that we would continue to be transformed to look more like you, Jesus, from one degree of glory to another. You are faithful to us when we are faithless. You hold us. You seek us out. And we love you this morning for your patient faithfulness to us.